So before we jump into our scriptures today, I want to tell you about something that happened at my house. I order things from Amazon a lot. And this box came, and it says on it, which I thought was weird when I picked it up on the front porch, just a box standing in front of a door waiting to be opened. I thought it was cute, but I thought it was a little weird. How many of you know where it comes from? Joe informed me when I told him I thought it was really weird. Do you want to tell them, Joe? <laughs> I put you on the spot. I didn't ask you if I could. <laughs> it comes from Notting Hill. A movie. Yes. different feeling about the box, right? So I tell you that because we're starting this series. We've been doing these stories, meeting Jesus, and we've been uh, people who had encounters with Jesus, and those were testified to in the, in the New Testament. But now, during Lent, we're starting a series, Learning from Jesus the Storyteller. And this is a great example that this means something different to Joe than it did to me, because he understood the allusion to it. So a lot of these stories that Jesus tells contain cultural allusions, some we have discovered over the years, some we know not. So the, interpreting parables, just like interpreting all of Scripture, is something we do with humility. We approach it knowing that there are probably aspects of this that we don't, we don't know, the movie phrase. So that's important. Parables, the word parable literally means... Uh, para means alongside. It can also mean some other things, which we'll talk about later, but it means alongside, and bull means to throw. So it's to throw something alongside. So Jesus takes these stories, he throws them alongside people's lives, and oh, you see it differently. So those are what, that's what we're going to be doing during Lent, is examining our lives in light of the teachings of Jesus through these stories, the parables. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do approach your word humbly, asking for your mercy. Amen. So this uh, comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, uh, and I think Miriam is going to preach later on another parable in the same chapter. Uh, but this one is uh, entitled, which incidentally those titles are like not part of the original text, but uh, this is entitled The Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector, probably in your Bible, that's the heading. Um, Luke's parables are known for being great reversals. So uh, what, you know, the world gets turned upside down, your ideas get turned upside down. Oh, you thought this, but woo, that, wait, that makes me see it differently. So that's, that's a, a lot of the parables in Luke are like that. And so 
Um, let's, let's listen for this one. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt or disdain or uh, really having come from nothing. They regarded them as nothing. So he's telling this parable to people who trusted in their own, in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to say one thing before I get into the sermon. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. So that word rather is uh, controversial amongst some interpreters and scholars. It's actually the word para, which we've just translated as in parable as alongside. It can be other, it can be other, um, interpret, uh, other translations as well. But some would have us read it this way. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified alongside the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. So we'll come back to that, but keep that in mind. So I grew up uh, around a lot of boys, and I'm, I'm really, I can't believe I'm making mass generalizations. I don't like that, but uh, I did grow up around a lot of boys, not brothers. I only had one brother, but a team full of brothers. There were always boys around. And as boys are wont to do, they like to wrestle. And whatever, arm wrestle, you know, just, just fight, really. And many times these fights, I would remember, these wrestlings, these playful, you know, uh, would result in one of the party being clearly victor. But the other one still writhing and pushing and kicking and cursing and, and the, the victor saying what? Say mercy. Say mercy. Sometimes they would say, say uncle, which I've never understood, but <laughs> say mercy, say mercy. And the, the one fighting would resist with all of their might. They did not want to cry mercy. What is so hard about crying mercy? I wonder what you're thinking right now. Maybe you've been in those positions where you felt like either literally 
if you're a guy, I doubt many girls wrestled until someone said, say mercy. Maybe you've just felt like life had you like that. Like, I don't want to say I give up. I, I had a seminary professor who one, one uh, Ash Wednesday, we had class and we walked in, he goes, hey, um, for Lent, I've decided to give up. He just stopped. Mercy is, is a, crying for mercy is a surrender. It is a, it's hard to do. Now remember, Jesus' audience, we're told, it's it, 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 the last time that the scriptures actually say who was listening, it was the disciples. In chapter 17, I think it's 22, he's talking to the disciples, he tells them some parables, and then it says, and he also told some who were uh, competent in their own righteousness or trusted in themselves and regarded others with contempt. So it's unclear, was that, had somebody else joined them, or is that also the disciples? But here's what he's saying. To people who trust in their own righteousness and regard others with contempt. Two men go up to pray. A Pharisee and a tax collector. Now again, remember, Luke is all about reversals. So it, it, it's so hard for us because we're so far removed from that. We, the word Pharisee Actually, if you look it up in our dictionary, pharisaical, it's hypocritical. But that is not the people, the listeners to Jesus' story would not have thought, oh, that Pharisee. Who wants to be a Pharisee? The Pharisee represented the religious role model. The one who is living rightly. And the tax collector. I've heard somebody say, you know, it would be like saying the pastor and uh, the, the uh, prostitute, or the pastor and the pimp or something. Actually, it's not really that, because the tax collector was not marginalized in the culture. The tax collector was uh, wealthy, powerful. So it would be more like saying um, the, uh, the minister and the millionaire who had earned all his money uh, you know, cheating other people out of their uh, retirement. But somebody powerful and prestigious, e even if looked down upon, that's what it would be like. It's, it's not like it's the Pharisees, the bad guy, and the tax collectors, the good guy. Like, we're expecting, if we're first listeners to this, the Pharisee is going to be the righteous one. And the Pharisee begins to pray. And, you know, we like to read it like he goes, thank God I'm not like those people. Like, like we already know that he's hypocritical. But, I mean, think about his prayer. He's really saying, thank you, God. I mean, is it really that different than when we say, there but by the grace of God go I? Thank God.
or when we say hashtag blessed. And it really has to do with all the good things that have happened to us. So the Pharisee is not a terrible guy, and what his prayer is not terrible. Thank you, God. Thank you that I'm, I'm, I'm not in the streets. I'm not out there doing bad things. Thank you. Thank you that I'm not a tax collector. Cheats other people. No, no, no. I mean, I've got a good church. I go a lot. I give my money away. Thank you, God. And then the tax collector. Remember, the first listeners are like, this is a bad guy. Just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now note well, he does not say, I promise you, God, I'll never cheat anybody again. He does not make a commitment to change his life. He just cries mercy. That's it. So you see how it's such a reversal because even with, even though if you're a, a listener, you're thinking, well, I mean, why, why should he be considered righteous? The Pharisee said a nice prayer of gratitude. All he did was ask for mercy. No commitment to change. And that's the great reversal, right? Because then Jesus says, this one went away justified. This is what is disruptive about parables disrupt. They turn, this is where it turns, right? Wait a minute, why is he justified? Now, if we reduce this just to, um, this is a parable about works righteousness versus grace, I think we miss the point, because then we end up being like, thank God I'm not the Pharisee. So what's, what's, what's the twist here? This is where parables have so many layers. And, and like I said, some translators would say, I tell you, this man went home justified alongside the other. But even if you, that's controversial, even if you say it is rather than, here's where everything gets turned upside down again. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. Oh, well, there you go. I got to be humbled again. You see how that works? You see, there's a little tax collector and a little Pharisee in all of us, and we all need mercy. But it's hard to cry for mercy because it is an act of vulnerability and humility. And let me say something about being humble. It's not considering yourself less than others. It's not considering yourself less than others. 
Remember right before this, or not remember, but read this week, there's a story about a widow who would have been a marginalized person, who would have been considered nothing, and she is commended for finding her voice and speaking up for justice. She does not consider herself less than anybody else. Humility is not considering yourself less than anyone. The biblical narrative tells us over and over again, you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God delights in you. The sociologist Margaret Mead has a great, great quote where she says, she studied cultures and peoples everywhere, and she said, never always remember that you are unique, and so is everyone else. That's what humility is. It is not looking down on others. It is not looking up. It is recognizing that we are all the same. Humble, humility, they come from the root word for ground, for human. We had an Ash Wednesday service here, and you know, the Lenten season is the season where we remember our humanity, and that includes our mortality. That's what the Ash Wednesday service is. We are reminded from dust you came and to dust you shall return. And you try doing that every year, marking the forehead. Someone who comes forward from dust you came to dust you shall return. We're all the same. This year I marked the forehead of my husband. We're at that age. We're losing friends. From dust you came to dust you shall return. Humility is about knowing that is true for all of us. That is our common humanity. You don't humble yourself by trying. To try to be humble is an oxymoron. You humble yourself by trusting. Trusting in the God who gave you life and will be with you in life and in death. You can't achieve humility. And we don't like that. Because we're the culture that grew up with the little engine that could. And actually, even our Christian theology has been co-opted. I can do all things through Christ means I can win a basketball game. That is not what that verse is. Paul has had a lot of failures, and he says, I can do all things, meaning I, I can be content even when I fail. Even within my limits, we are humans. There are limits. No, we can't do everything we want to. Humility is accepting that, receiving the grace of God in the midst of those limitations, not achieving humility. I've been living with this parable for several weeks now, really longer than that, 
But it just so happened that this week, I was in the airport with my husband, and we were in the Sky Club. And we sat down next to a man who didn't really get the vibes we were sending. And he started telling us about himself. And I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Everything about him was like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. Now, I, I belong to this organization, and, you know, my, my wife is a materialistic person. She's got seven cars, but I am not. I give everything away that I can, you know, I guess, I don't know how that works, but I give, I go into the uh, poor parts of the city, and I just hand out $100 bills, and blah, 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 blah. And I, I really had a sense of absolute contempt for him. And my first thought inside my head was, there he is, the Pharisee from this week's scripture story. But by the time we settled into the plane, I knew that the only thing for me to say about that encounter was simply, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. We come to this table, all of us, begging for mercy. And unlike boys who wrestle with each other, we do not worship a God who resists giving it to us. We just have to receive it. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and after giving